Okay, so today's daf is Yud Aleph in Shekalim. We're on Yud Amud Bet, bottom of the Amud. We are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 lines on the bottom where it says Ha'veha Tanei. And what it should say here, according to the Gra, is it should say Ve'ha Tanei Avnei Yerushalayim Walin Behen, without the other words there, right? Avnei Yerushalayim Walin Behen, which means that the, uh, which means that the, um, the stones of Jerusalem if a person benefits from them, they should, uh, they, they commit milah. It's considered misappropriating something of Hegdish. So the question is, but we said that anything that is outside of the Bet HaMikdash building itself is really, uh, you know, there is no milah. Uh, right? We, or I'm sorry, it comes from the Shirei Dishkat, comes from the leftover Shkalim. And leftover shkalim really shouldn't be subject to meila because meila is something which has to do with uh, things where the item itself is holy, and uh, the leftover shkalim are used for things where the item itself isn't holy, like the walls and the the ramps and all these things where the item where, it's, where it has a holy function but the thing's not holy. So why is it that uh, why is it that the, you would commit meila by handling these or by utilizing these stones if they're bought from the shirai? They're bought from the leftover shkali. So it says, and the word Ella shouldn't be here. It says, it says, According to Rebbe Meir, the Kiddushah of the leftover money is the same as the Kiddushah of the, uh, of the primary money. In other words, even after they've taken the money and they've left what's called the Shirelishka, the leftover money, they have the same level of sanctity. Why? Because he said that they might end up going back and having to take from those leftover monies again. So since they might have to go back and take from it again, if they run out, so it doesn't lose its Kiddushah. So if you, even though you build the wall out of those, or you build the uh, you know, Jerusalem walls out of the stones, it's going to be from that money. But He said, but that doesn't really fit with, what, with Rabbi Meir either, because Rabbi Meir is talking about within the year. In other words, if they collect Shkalim this year, and by the end of the year, they've run out. So they have to go back to the original... Uh, in other words, they, they amass a certain amount of shkalim and they do trumat They take some out for use. They take some out for use. They take some out for use the third time. And they run out. So they need to go back and take more for use. So that's why it retains its sanctity, according to Rabbi Meir. But after that point, after the years passed, if they use those leftover shkalim to buy things after that, it doesn't retain its original sanctity. It's no longer going to be used for korbanot, even according to Rabbi Meir. So that would not explain why the Brita would claim that a person is uh, commits meila from uh, benefiting from the uh, from the walls of Jerusalem, from the stones of Jerusalem, because even according to Rabbi Meir, that wouldn't be true. Now the Gemara doesn't go back and explain how it could say that. Then it just leaves it like that. Now Amar Tana Rabbi Gad Gad Ganiot. That's the name of the person. Rabbi Yehuda Gad Ganiot said, Rabbi Meir was of the opinion. That without the following items, you cannot bring korbanot, which is you have to have a shulchan, right? You have to have a menorah. You have to have the two mizbachot of the Beit HaMikdash, and you have to have the curtain. All of those, without them, you're not going to be able to bring korbanot at all because you need at least the basic framework of the Beit HaMikdash. Like, you need all those things. Now, the thing is, that would also seem to imply that you would pay for all of those things from the primary shkalim because they're all considered part of the korbanot themselves. They're just as important. Now, uh, what we have in our text is which would mean that you need the washing station everything else you don't need just the washing station for the Kohanim and a place to put the Korban that's it 
You don't need these other parts of the Beit HaMikdash. You could go on to Har Habayit today, put a washing station, and put the Korban, uh, Korbanot. That's, the way, that's what it says in our version. According to the Graz version, it doesn't say, uh, it, it doesn't say um, the words Kior uh, Vekan. It says Karkov Vekeren. It says you need the Mizbeach, basically. Karkov Vekeren is the line around the Mizbeach. Right, the the the, uh, the indent that goes around the mizbeach and the keren, the the horns of the mizbeach, because you have to put the korban, you have to put the blood on there, right? So that's what it should say according to the gra. In other words, what you need is the mizbeach according to that, right? Everything else is extra. If you have a proper mizbeach, you could bring korbanot according to chachamim. Velo chen amari eliezer v'biyozer ben chanina treyen amrin. So uh, so he said, didn't they say as follows that really actually. Not everybody agrees with that because um, because uh, didn't uh, Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yossi ben Chanina they both said Kol everything it, it says in the Torah the word nochach okay the word nochach means facing and what is the thing that says nochach about it only says that about the menorah so meaning the menorah would be necessary also not only the mizbeach but also the menorah. Okay, but the word tsela, which means the side, is is not something that's necessary. No, even the thing that it says the side, which is talking about the shulchan. So each of them has a different opinion. In other words, the first opinion was that you need all of these different components. Okay, then you have the most extreme opposite opinion, the chachamim said, no, all you need is a all you need is the mizbeach, basically, and then you have something in the middle. No, 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 you need the minorah. No, you also need the shulchan because it says the word tsela. It tells a location, and a location means that look, it has to be there. Right? And then, Even if it says put something, that Moshe Rabbeinu has to put something in a certain place, that's Me'akev. So that would mean the Aron and the Parochet, the curtain and the Mizbachot, also the uh, proper placement of the, um, of the, uh, uh, of the uh, altars. In other words, that's like going back to the original view, basically, again, that you need everything, right? You need everything to be there to have korbanot. It depends. Over here, in other words, in one case, we're talking about avodot bifnim, that really the chachamim are saying that, uh, in other words, how could the Chachamim before say that you don't really need anything? All you need is the Mizbeach. And here you see all these opinions that, no, you need all these different things. How could these later rabbis completely disagree with the Chachamim? Where the Chachamim said you didn't need that, and these rabbis are all saying you do need it. How is that possible that all these later rabbis disagree with the early Chachamim and say that you don't, that you, you need, no, you need more, you need more. What's the answer? It depends. Whether you're talking about Avodat Penim, you're talking about Avodot that have to be done in the Kodesh like in the Kodesh or the Kodesh of Kodeshim, that requires all these different components. But if it's Avodat Chutz, in other words, if you're just doing Avodat, you're just doing a Korban that would be brought on the outer altar, all you need is the altar. That's what the Chachamim meant. But if you want to do something that requires something in the Kodesh, where, you know, if you don't have a proper Kodesh with a Menorah and a Shulchan and a Parochet, what, what kind of Kodesh is it? And the Kodesh is defined by being outside the Kodesh of Kodeshim. So if you don't have the Kodesh of Kodeshim, how could you do the Avodah of the Kodesh of the Kodesh? So, so the, the point is that if you're talking about Avodah that occurs inside the roofed part of the Beit HaMikdash, so then you need these different implements to be in place. But if you're talking about Avodah that occurs outside, then you wouldn't need it. And that's why even the Rambam says, and the Halakha seems to be accepted, that you know, in theory we could bring Korbanot today. Because all you need is to put a Mizbeach. You don't need a Beit HaMikdash. So go and do the Korban there. 
says Shemakrivin uh, Afopish in bite. You could you could make a korban even though there's no beta mikdash. You just go on the location and do it. And since Tum'ah is pushed off because everybody is Tamei, so you'll be able to do Korban Pesach or Korban Tamid. Right? When Ezra came back, when they came back, they had to have everything. They, did they put it together slowly. They put it together slowly. They started so apart from it. They have everything and they were offering sacrifices. Right. They started out by making a, you know, making the area set off and, and then they, they slowly built it. Eventually they had the whole bit of Mikdash. But yeah, they didn't have the whole thing in place right away. So yeah. So, uh... Rabbi Hanina said, I'm Rabbi Hanina. Shachzit gedola aita bevne kohanim gedolim. The kohanim gedolim were very arrogant. Sheyotem ushishim kikroi zahav ayu motzin ba'ashayak kivsha shel para omed v'echad men motzi barato v'kivsha shel chavero el esotro bonei otam yishelo. Because they really had already, remember we said before that every time a kohen gadol would officiate the making of a para dumah, he wanted to build his own ramp. They built it from their own money. And even though they had a ramp there, they would destroy it and put a new one. Even though it cost them 60 talents of gold, which is an enormous amount of money. It cost them like hundreds of thousands of dollars. But they would do it. They want their own. So you see, that seems like ga'ava. It says, Hey, Tiv Rabbi Ula, Komei Rabbi Mana. But Rabbi Ula said to Rabbi Mana, How could you say that? But Tanir Shimon HaTzadik. Shimon HaTzadik was very righteous. He was not arrogant. He did a paraduma twice. And even for himself, each time he made a new one, meaning even though he did two, he wouldn't even use his own original ramp. He made another ramp for himself. And he was definitely not a arrogant person. He was like the greatest tzaddik. And they said he was the highest. Like after him, there was never a person like that again. And there are all these agadot about how great he was. How could it be? Right? So therefore What? You're telling me that Shimon HaTzadik was some kind of arrogant guy? So therefore what? The answer is that it's not about the arrogance of the Kohani. It was a special stringency related to um, being uh, related to the Parah Duma to make sure that nothing became Tamei in the process of preparing the Parah Duma. Special stringency and special Kavod for the Mitzvah of making the Parah Duma. Then this seems to mean that what they had was they on the sides of these ramps they had like special uh, like uh, protrusions so they couldn't glance over the side. Why? Because if they leaned over the kohanim or walking, lean over the side, there could be some tumah and they would come to me. The idea was that it was to keep everything pure, extra stringency and the purity, not about the honor of the Kohanim Gdolim. So don't take it as, oh, he doesn't want to go with the you know, previous guy's uh, ramp because he wants it to be his own. No, it was, it was really a, there was a halachic reason or a reason of honoring the mitzvah. Rabbi Akiva, in we said that Rabbi Akiva said that the Rechbeda Megdash, the question was that we saw in the Mishnah the suggestion that they should take the leftover Shkalim and they should buy with it some uh, different items like these leftover shkalim in the chamber and they should buy wine and oil and this and that and sell it and the money will go to Hekdesh. In other words, let the, let the Hekdesh make some money. Right? So the, um, so uh, Rabbi Akiva said no. But it says, But if the, even Rabbi Akiva would agree that if somebody said, look, I'm going to do business with the money of the uh, Hekdesh if it loses money, it's on me. I'm going to pay for it. If it makes money, it goes to the Hekdesh. And maybe it takes a little uh, service fee or whatever. But the point is, it's going to go to Hekdesh, right? That way, the Hekdesh will never lose. Because the concern is if Hekdesh goes into business and they decide we're going to sell oil, and all of a sudden, the, the, the cost of the oil it goes down, so you're going to cause a, cause a loss, right? You don't want that. Now, 
there was a person named Barzamina, it Pekad, he was given, in, he was entrusted, Gabe Madal Diatmin, like a lot of money of, uh, of orphans. Atav Shalom Rabbi Manah, yes, Rabbi Manah, Amalek, in Bayi Deab Sadadidach, right, Vagra de Tarvechon, Shere, he asked Rabbi Manah, and Rabbi Manah said, listen, if you're willing to absorb all losses, and the benefit goes to the two of you, in other words, that you will, that the, um, the, the orphans will receive only the profits. But if there's a loss, you're going to absorb it. So then it's okay. But if you're going to if you're going to let them have the loss, you can't put their money at risk. In fact, there was another case where Rabbi Barada did exactly that. He took responsibility so he could make more money. In other words, he wanted to make more money for the uh, for the for the orphans. He wanted to make money with their money for them. But so he said, "I'll guarantee the money." Basically, I'm not gonna. I'm not going to put their money at risk, but I want to make the money. I'll guarantee them that they're going to get back at least their principal. So that way he doesn't, you know, he can't cause them any loss. He doesn't want them to have any exposure, but he wants to help them make money. Complicated, you know, it's, uh, that's, that's the deal. Now, he says, uh, Our Mishnah follows Rabbi Ishmael. How can you tell? Because it's, it talks about the motar perot, the leftover perot. And what motar perot does it talk about? What leftover fruits? It says motar perot, that the extra fruits go to Kaita Mizbech. They go to, uh, they go to the um, extra korbanot on the Beit HaMikdash. What is the leftover fruits? He says leftover fruits is talking about this money that's made from these fruits that they're selling. In other words, from the produce that they were selling, according to Rabbi Ishmael. Because the point is that the money is going to Hekdesh, uh, meaning that these extra fruits that are being sold, the money is going to the Hekdesh. What does it mean in the Mishnah when it says Motan Nesachim? Zosarviit means that if, let's say, that, for example, the Beit HaMikdash has a contract with a supplier of oil or a supplier of flour, and the cost of supply of the uh, and the cost all of a sudden goes down. In other words, really normally, if you're supplying somebody something, and you have a contract, they're going to pay you X amount for X amount. So then, if the if you if the cost of that item now goes down, so you benefit because you're the supplier. So now, when you're buying it wholesale, or let's say you know you're the middleman, you're going to benefit. Right, because you're buying it now for less, but you're still giving it to the, you know, to, you're delivering it for the same that you agreed. Now, what happens is that what happens, but you can't do that to the hekdesh. Hekdesh always wins. You can't win against Hashem. So, therefore, if that happens, that let's say we had a deal that for uh, for ten thousand dollars, I'm giving you three sa'ah, okay, but or for, I'm giving you four sa'ah. And now, uh, whatever, the price goes down, and now it only costs the guy 8000 Really, it should be 8000 instead of 10000 So what ends up happening is they give them more. In other words, the supplier has to give more. He's not allowed to benefit from the difference. He has to give more. So uh, that's what it says. The fourth se'ah means the extra amount. that. So they bet the Mikdash budgeted that they needed only a certain amount. That's what they were contracting the guy for. But it turns out that the cost went down, so really they received more. That's called motan nesachim, extra nesachim, meaning they get more than they bargained for originally. So this extra says motan nesachim, and that was what it said in the Mishnah when it talked about motan nesachim uh, goes to the klesharet. It goes to uh, it goes to the um, to the to the service vessels, um, and uh, uh, that was to, uh, or it goes to kaitam One opinion said that no, it goes to korbanot in the Beit Hamikdash. There's an argument about what what you do with it, but everyone agrees what it is. Motan nesachim, according to this, everyone agrees what it is that it's talking about this. That if the prices fluctuate, the Beit Hamikdash ends up with more than they asked for. So that's what it goes. The extra goes to one of these causes. But motar perot is definitely talking about what Rabbi Shmuel was talking about, where the where the Beit Hamikdash is doing business 
right? With the with the extra um, with the extra money, right? So they so the, and that's what's saying leftover perot. In the end, when they sell whatever they have extra from that, it's that, that was the discussion. Right now, now, but Rabbi Yochanan, but Amatnita, Motar Perot Zoru Saro Veit Motar Sachim Perutzit. He, Rabbi Yochanan, had a different interpretation. He said, "No, Motar Perot is not talking about where the Beit Hamikdash does business and goes out and buys the supply and sells it. The, the Beit Hamikdash doesn't do that. Motar Perot in the Mishnah is talking about the second thing that we just said, where the Beit Hamikdash ends up getting extra because of a contract that they had, and the item became cheaper, so they ended up with more." Okay, Motar Nisachim, which you said before was that case, was the case where uh, where they got extra. It's talking about something else. That's called now Berutzin. Berutzin means that you have to fill the when you give the Bet Hamikdash something, you have to fill it to the tippy top. You have to overfill it, right? So there's more than what the Bet Hamikdash really was supposed to get. There's extra. So even when they, when you donate something, you give extra. Okay, or when it buy when the Bet Hamikdash purchases something, they get extra. That's extra. Why didn't Rabbi Chiyabar Yosef mention the Berutzin, the extra measure? I'm Rabbi Chizkiah. He says that's the same thing. That's why. Whatever the, wherever the extra that they get when the, when the prices fluctuate and the extra that they get because somebody has to overfill the measurement when they give to the Beit HaMikdash, that all goes to the same place anyway, so it doesn't matter. He didn't consider that two different things. He considered it the same thing. Fine. So that's, uh, but, but you see, Now we understand, according to Rabbi Chiyabar Yosef, that Motara Perot is referring to where the Beit HaMikdash went into business with the extra money, bought stuff, sold it, that the surplus that they have is, that's why it said Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Chanina Sagana Kohanim did not agree about Motara Perot, that's why they didn't agree, because they said you're not allowed to do that, you're not allowed to go into business, that's why they didn't agree right, so because he's saying the definition of the word in the Mishnah Motar Perot is this extra that they get from doing business so that explains why it says in the Mishnah that Rabbi Akiva didn't agree with the whole concept of Motar Perot. And neither did Rabbi Chanina Sagana Kohanim agree with it because they both say you can't do that. Only Rabbi Ishmael allows you to do that. However, but, and, but according to Rabbi Yochanan, what's the problem? In other words, according to Rabbi Yochanan, why doesn't Rabbi Akiva agree that you could have extra money from Motar HaPerot? Because according to Rabbi, Rabbi Yochanan, when the suppliers costs go down, they have to give more to the Beit HaMikdash. Everybody agrees with that. And if you're saying that's what Motara Perot, extra Perot, is referring to, so then even Rabbi Akiva should agree that such a thing exists. V'atanen, we learned that Amdu Migimel Sabeh Midalit. In other words, if the, the point is that if, they, if the price goes, uh, uh, the, uh, you know, uh, all shifts, okay, in other words, if the price changes, so then they have to give four instead of three. Okay, that's that's the idea that the supplier will give four, the fourth se'ah instead of the three, right? Right. So then, why does it say that Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Chanina don't agree that you could have that extra measure of a surplus coming into the Beit Hamikdash? Everyone agrees that you could. If, in other words, if we're talking about money the Beit Hamikdash makes by running a business, we understand Rabbi Akiva will say there's no such thing because the Beit Hamikdash is not allowed to do that. But if we're talking about a surplus that they get because of suppliers' fluctuations of prices in the market, so then they could, they could get it. So there, so so why does it say Rabbi Akiva doesn't agree with the concept? It means It means that they didn't agree that that extra goes as korbanot. But they did agree that it could go for klesharet. In other words, what it means is not that he didn't agree. That Motara, Nisach, that Motara Perot 
um, is something, not that Rabbi Akivas and Rabbi Hanina Sagana Kohanim didn't agree with the concept of Motar Perot, because if Motar Perot just means extra that the Beit HaMikdash receives because of fluctuation in prices that, that we give an advantage to the Beit HaMikdash, so then everyone agrees that exists. question is what to do with that extra money. The answer is Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Hanina Sagana Kohanim are saying not like Rabbi Ishmael, who said that that money should go for Korbanot, but that it should go for Kleshoret, to buy vessels for the Beit HaMikdash. Fine, that was the only difference. Now, Ad Kadun Now the question is, this is all true. In other words, when you have extra, now the way that the, the what does the Gra has, the Tanenan Taman. Oh no, that's the next part, I think. Well, uh, no, it is here. He says, what does he have? Right, that's what he has here. That what is the, uh, that this is talking about, this is talking about where, where we have extra, where the measure is filled up too high and it's given, that those extra, that extra go, goes to the Beit HaMikdash, right? That's only, that's only when it's a communal uh, offering. How do you know that, you know, what about if an individual does that? Because you're saying that those extras are going to go to purchase vessels for the Beit HaMikdash. Right? So the, the, the question was, if they take the extra measure that, let's say I come with a flower offering or whatever, and I put extra, right? So now you're going to take that extra flower and you're going to use it to buy klesha, right? You're going to use the money from that to buy vessels, but that means that my individual contribution bought something for the whole community. One that, and, and normally, individual co- contributions cannot get a communal thing. Like we said, individual contribution isn't supposed to go for that. It says, but no, that's not true because that the woman can make the big day kihuna at home as long as she gives it over to the community, it's okay that she made it at home. We don't mind that she made it at home. So too, if I have some extra that I donate because I have to fill it to the tippy top and it spills over, that goes to the Beit HaMikdash. That's no problem because I'm giving it over to the Beit HaMikdash. Right? Now, the way that... Uh, and that says... So, and what does the Graz say here? Does he change this or that's not him yet? Does he change this part or does he only change the next part? Um, oh, the next part he does. Right, so it says... This is talking. This this refers to Beruzelach. What about Beruzelach In other words, there's two kinds of overflow. There's the overflow of liquid where it you pour in and it, it overflows on the side, right? Oh, it overflows on the side. That extra spillage. Okay. What about the uh, overflow of solid? In other words, flour. Let's say. Why Why is there a difference? Because if you overflow, I always wondered. I always said, you know, a person could make a killing by going to Starbucks. Everybody pours out, you know, everybody pours out the top of their Starbucks and then, and then puts milk. Not everybody, but a lot of people, they pour. So imagine a guy just stand there, he takes the pour, says, here, you want to pour it out? Pour it into my tank here. He'll take that, he'll go heat it up outside and have an alternative Starbucks. He could, you know, from the, he have so much, so much goes to waste, right? So much goes to waste. So what happens in the, in the, in the bit, I mean, gosh, you fill something up, it has to fill to the tippy top. If it overflows, what happens is that part that overflows is also holy because it went into the cup, right? What overflows actually went into the cup. It just came out. Right? So as opposed to, let's say, flour. If you fill flour to the top and then there's some over the top, that's because it never went into the container, right? It piled up on top. That's different. So what about that? It says, now there it says, 
It says that if the um, if the uh, that even the dry things, okay, if they are um, if they put them in a vessel and the and the korban they were supposed to accompany becomes pasul, if there's another korban, they can pair it with the other korban, and if not, then if they're left over till the next morning, they're going to become pasul, meaning that everything be- became actually holy from being in the vessel. Now the the graz addition on the side is. That it says actually, it says over there, that it says that the extra parts on the top of the dry measure are not Kodesh because they don't actually go into the vessel. Right? Because you piled it up too high, it didn't go in the vessel. I'm reading from what the Gra says. Since the, uh, the container that you put the, uh, the liquid into, is uh, holy on the inside, so because it touched it. So the point is that even though, that, so the, the dry that's on the outside will not become Kodesh to the same level as the wet, because the wet actually that touches the vessel and the vessel is, is anointed um, on the inside, so it's going to become holy. The, the measures that they used to measure the flower were not anointed at all. They weren't holy at all. So only the things that went in that they intended for that were needed for the measurement are going to become holy. The parts that are outside are not going to become holy. Even though they topple down and they, they touch the vessel, it's not going, to, not going to have an effect. So then it says, if they, but once they are measured out, they become designated for the korban and now they're going to become pasul if they're left overnight. And now it says, and if the, um, they can be sold then. In other words, if you don't want them to be left over till they become pasul, you sell them and use them for korbanot. So here you see that, the, that both the dry and the liquid, whatever is extra, is sold and is used for the uh, korbanot of the mizbeach, for the uh, burnt offerings, extra burnt offerings. Even the overflow of the dry is used for that too. They sell it and they... they so, you know, because overflow really adds up if you think about how much goes to waste. The overflow adds up a lot. Like I was saying about the Starbucks, I always saw everyone pours out into the garbage a part of the Starbucks. Imagine if somebody collected it, they could have, in an hour, they would have a huge uh, tank of it, probably. You know, it's, it's so much goes to waste. This overflow <clears throat> in the... Tank. When they're measuring it out. The, yeah. At the, at the Betamidash, right? Not yeah, the, yeah, the it happens the there because you come and you pour it and so then it goes over. While you're there, it should all be hectic. I mean, no, I mean... No, because they only consecrate it when it goes into the cleaf where the korban becomes consecrated. They didn't officially consecrate it until then. Okay. Now the, the Mishnah says, Motar Ketoret, the extra Ketoret at the end of the year. My Sinba, they always had extra. So what they would do was they would deconsecrate the ketoret on the money. We're going to see how exactly they did this, right? Uh, that they were going to pay the workers, okay? And then they would give the ketoret to the, to the workers. as their payment. And then they would buy it back from the workers with the new shkalim. In other words, they would recycle the ketoret, but it had to be purchased with the new money from the new year. So what they would do was they would deconsecrate it, give it to the workers, then buy it back from the workers with the new shkalim, and that money that they receive becomes their payment, right? So that's how they would that's how they would do it. Now it says if it turned out that the uh, that the the shkalim didn't arrive in time to pay the workers, so they would buy it back from them even with the old shkalim, even though that doesn't exactly solve the problem of, of buying it with the new shkalim. They also had to pay the workers, so I guess that was what they had to do. They would buy it was only lechatchila that they had to have it from the new money. 
money. If they weren't able to, they weren't able to. Now the Gemara says, How could it work that they deconsecrated the money on the money of Hekdesh? Because after all, the money that Hekdesh has that they're going to pay the workers is already holy. So how are they deconsecrating the Ketorot on the money? The money is already holy. How could they do that? First, they would take money and they would deconsecrate it on some materials. Okay? Then they would bring the ketoret and they would deconsecrate it onto the money. So now the money is holy again. They would give the ketoret to the workers. So then it says, what are, what are they going to do with that money? Now, what does the grass say with that line there? It says that they... Um, that that money that they deconsecrated, now the ketoret is no longer, uh, they deconsecrated the ketoret on the money. So it says they give them, they give that to the, uh, he says, vahamaot as leil truma ishana. So the, so he says, uh, in other words, it's saying that that money that they now deconsecrated. In other words, that the money that they um, that they placed the uh, the ketoret money on itself would be a, would would remain holy. So they would ha- what they would have to do is they would have to buy um, they would have to buy back the ketoret from the workers. And what does he say here? And then what? Right, so it would become they would though that money itself. I'm reading from what he says in the commentary. Oh, so he says that yeah, that that ketoret that they would they deconsecrated the ketoret on money. That money would go to the to the old shkalim would be considered like part of the old shkalim uh, storage because they deconsecrated on money. But then they would buy back with new money, and that new money, of course, would uh, go to the um, w- to the workers. But Rabbi says, "Omer ani yinatnu lebet garmu lebet avtinas shayu bekiin bepituma ketoret." They they would do this specifically with the families of that were the experts in making the ketoret. The mamasel lechem apanim and with the lechem apanim. In other words, he's, so and again, the tiklin chadatin explains. He says, Rabbi says they shouldn't bring, they shouldn't just give the ketoret to any workers. Like they shouldn't just give it to any workers and do that. They would do this specifically with the people who are the experts in the ketoret. That they would give them the, uh, they would give them the ketoret and they would go back and buy it back from them. Uh, it wasn't done with all the workers. That's what he's saying. I'm Rabbi Yishmol by Rabbi Yitzchak. But that's only if they owe the money. In other words, if they don't owe the money, what are they going to do now? The only thing that they can do, uh, they can only do this trick of um, of deconsecrating the ketoret and paying the workers if they actually owe the workers money. But if they already paid the workers all their money, they don't have that trick to do anymore because they don't have a way to uh, to justify deconsecrating the ketoret and, and doing this trick. Atarabibai, um, or actually should say Rabbi Ba, B'Shem Rabbi Chia, and the grass says what? Okay, so he says, oh, he doesn't explain it. All right. So he says, um, So then they would take the money and they would, ta- and they would make from it korbanot. In other words, they would deconsecrate the money, deconsecrate the ketorot on other money and use that money to bring olot. If they didn't have the situation where they had to pay workers, where they could do this trick of paying the workers with it. He said, you know, I think that Rabbi Chia Barba is contradicting himself because um, 
before he had a question of what to do with him with this money, and now it seems obvious to him. What is he talking about? It seemed that uh, he had a question before, and now it seems obvious to him. So he says that. Uh, so the way that he explains it is that before, when it talked about the, he was asking about whether the extra overflow of the uh, of the measurements would go to the uh, korbanot on the mizbeach, right? And it says over there. Uh, he says, that he's saying that over there, the, uh, the extra overflow goes to the Klesharet, which is what it says here. It says, he says, that, so he says, over there, over there, he wanted to know whether the extra overflow would go to the service vessels. But over here, that it's going to the Korbanot of the Beit HaMikdash that, that he understood as self-evident and it was less of a complication for him. Did Palagun? And they, because about that, they had a, dis- a, a disagreement. Now, what happens if they make the, the in non-sacred vessels. Rabbi Yosef Barayi Chanina Amar Psula. Rabbi Yosef Ben Levi Amar Kshera. There's a machloket. Is the uh, if you make the ketoret in non-sacred vessels, is it kosher or not? And according to Rabbi Yosef Barayi Rabbi Chanina, it is not. According to Rabbi Yosef Ben Levi, it is. So Maita Amad Rabbi Yosef Barayi Rabbi Chanina. Kodesh, it says it has to be holy. Which means it has to be holy from the beginning. You have to do it in holy vessels. That doesn't mean that it actually has to be holy from the minute that it is uh, created. You could create it at home and bring it. What it means is that it has to be purchased with the money that is sacred so that it becomes holy. I'm Rabbi Yosef Rabbi Bon. These two opinions match up with Rabbi with uh, with Shmuel and with Rabbi Yochanan. we learn because we said that if a person consecrates all of their property and among the things in his property were things that are good for the communal korbanot, Rabbi Yochanan Amar Ketor. Rabbi Yochanan says that's talking about Ketor, right? Right. So the idea is that um, that if a person consecrates his entire property and there are things among the property that are good for the public korbanot, that those automatically become public korbanot. If a person says, like, everything I own goes to the Beit HaMikdash. Okay, if you have goats, they're going to become for the uh, korbanot. If, they, if you have chairs, obviously they're just going to be sold. But if they, you know, but if you have ketoret, Rabbi Yochanan says, so what do you see from that? A person could have ketoret at home, right? So obviously a person made the ketoret at home and it was still valid. Because it says it would go to the Beit Hamikdash, so it says Amar Rabbi Yosheya, no, not necessarily. It could be that this is one of the. That it's talking about a person who was one of the people that they paid with the ketoret, right? Like we said before, they paid these families with the ketoret, and then they would re- buy it back from them. So maybe this guy received it as his, as his payment, and then he consecrated it. So it was actually prepared in sacred vessels originally, it just ended up give, being given to him, and that's why he was able to was able to become sacred again. It doesn't prove that if it was made at home, in his own blender, it would be good. And we see that Rabbi Yosef Rabbi Yosef Rabbi Shmuel, that they, um, that they actually made the machteshet, the grinder, in the Bet HaMikdash, was a klisharet, it was considered a, a, sanc- a sacred vessel, so that when they produced the ketorot from the beginning, it was already uh, holy. So that's, that does seem to follow the view of Shmuel. It does seem to follow the view that it had to be holy from the beginning. You can't consecrate it later, but we're not, we're not sure 
um, about Rabbi Yochanan. Now, I'm Rabbi Yossi about Rabbi Bon. I'm Rabbi Chona, Komei Rabbi Yossi. So Rabbi Chona said in front of Rabbi Yossi, How could it be that you can deconsecrate something that was consecrated in a klisharet? How can you con- how can you take something? Normally, if something is intrinsically holy, you can't just go and deconsecrate it. We're talking about Shmuel. The Shmuel Amar, Kalu, Motar, Det Palegun. Right, because actually uh, Shmuel had the opinion that something left over that becomes obsolete is more lenient. Because they had a machloket. What if at the end of the year the Bet HaMikdash is left with korbanot that do not have a moon but were never used? What should they do? Shmuel Amar, You know what? They can just be redeemed the way that they are. And then we might buy them back. In other words, we redeem them and then we buy them back for the next year's, with the next year's funds. It's no problem because since they became obsolete, their time was up. So we can redeem them. No problem. According to what? Because they can be used. Because it can be reused. According to Rabbi Yochanan, you have to wait till they get a mum to do that. Since they were consecrated and it was a korban, you can't just deconsecrate them right that, like that. Now what about Hotiru Sirim? What if they left over goats? Because Now for Shmuel, it's no problem. If the Bet HaMikdash has goats left over, what do they use goats for? For chatat. Seriously, machad lechatat. Right? So that means that they had goats left over chatat. So what do you do? So Shmuel, no problem. But according to Rabbi Yochanan, they leave them to pasture until they develop a moon. Because that's what he says. You have to wait till it gets a moon. You can't reuse it. You can't redeem it and reuse it. You have to wait till it gets a moon. You can never deconsecrate something that's fully... Uh, fully intact. You can't do it according to Rabbi Yochanan. Right? So Rabbi Shmuel Bar Yitzchak said, no, we should use it as Kaitzamizbeach. You don't have to deconsecrate. Why would you deconsecrate when you can just use it as a Korban Olah? Meaning Shmuel is saying, deconsecrate. Since this Korban was set aside for communal use and now the year has passed, we can't use it anymore. Deconsecrate it. Rabbi Yochanan says, no, no, wait till it gets a moon. So along comes Rabbi Shmuel Bar Yitzchak says, why do you have to do that? Just use it as extra Korbanot. So it won't be for the satisfaction of the uh, obligation of the Korban Tamid. Use it for something else. So could he say, so Kasha Viesh. The level of holiness doesn't come down to do it no, you're doing korban olah. You do korban olah. What's the problem? But that's the problem here. But if it's a goat, vikashya, yesh chatat shikreva olah. How could you make the chatat an olah? In other words, according when you're talking about leftover korban tamid, that's an olah, and you're making it an olah. Fine. But if you're talking about a leftover goat, that would have been a chatat. How can you now decide to make it an olah? You can't just switch it from a chatat to olah. How could you do that? So he says, I'm Rabbi Yosa, Shanyai, it's different. Rabbi Yosa said, When it comes to Korban Tzibur, there's a condition that the Betin made. We're not being committed to what this Korban is until we do the Shechita. That way we can always repurpose it if we need to. Right? So that, that's a special loophole that we have. I'm Rabbi Chia, Tanai He has a more, a more limited Radical idea, but more limited, saying the Betin has a tenai, a condition that anything left over becomes an olah automatically. In other words, when they consecrate, they consecrate, not like Rabbi Yosai. Rabbi Yosai is saying they don't consecrate it as anything until the moment of shechita. So since it was never used as a chatat, they can repurpose it as an olah right now, no problem. But according to Rabbi Chiyan, no, it doesn't work like that. They did consecrate it as a chatat. The only thing is they had a tenai, they had a condition. Anything we say is consecrated for a specific purpose. If it gets left over past its time or it becomes obsolete, it automatically becomes an Allah. That was a condition. Any problem yeah. with 